0: Amen. <clears throat> good morning. You all doing well? Good. 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 Hey, real quickly. I mentioned uh, beginning in January, uh, we had Tammy and I just finished 28 years here at Desert Springs, and the first ministry that we began back in 1995 was evangelism training, and the reason is is because obviously this idea of living on mission. What I find is a lot of Christians are fine with it goes, okay, so I can show Jesus with my life, but where they struggle is, but sharing him with my lips, because a lot of what i and the reason I think people struggle with that is that sense of, but I'm really not confident in what I need to share, and yet there is a message to the gospel that has to be communicated. And so we began evangelism training. Now, what's changed a lot, we've adapted it a lot over the years as culture's changed around us, but we still do it. And what I wanted you to know is that a week from this afternoon, that next round of evangelism training is starting. Uh, And if you have never taken or maybe you've taken it, but it's been a long time since you shared your faith, this is the thing it's only nine weeks. You say, but oh, you know, that's not me. Well, yeah, it's going to make you a little uncomfortable. Right? Doesn't most of the things in our life that are good that help us make us feel a little uncomfortable, at least to begin with, right? If you ever tried a new diet, it's very uncomfortable. But it stretches us, it helps us to learn. So you can sign up at events.dscchurch.com, but this is what we are called to do, especially as we see uh, you know, the fact that uh, you know we're getting close to the Lord's return. This is the day, right? The opportunity God has given to us to go live on mission. So we are in the book of Revelation. We're finally getting to our text. We're gonna focus on chapter one, verses one to three. Let's read it together. And then we'll jump in. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads. And those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The revelation of Jesus Christ, what this is all about, this is the unveiling. That's what the revelation means. It means, uh, it has the idea of taking away the the filter. It is the revealing. It is the idea that we are going to seek to disclose So this is the disclosing of Christ, but the heart of it is that it is the disclosing of Christ in his glory. So when you think about John, who is the author, wrote in in his Gospel of John, it was the revelation of Jesus as God becoming man. The Word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. It is Jesus' Savior. When you look at the epistles of John... John writes about walking in fellowship. It's about sanctification. But when we get to the book of Revelation, this is the revelation of Jesus now in his glory. The idea of his sovereignty. These things that must take place. Him coming to rule and to reign. So the focus of the book of Revelation is Jesus. It's not end time events. Can I say that again? The focus of the book of Revelation is Jesus, not end time events. You know, sometimes people get so caught up into what's going on and, and trying to understand every little piece and how it could be this or how it could be that and this, and they miss that what this book is about is revealing Jesus. Jesus in his glory. I mean, you look down in verse 13. And in the middle of this lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in the furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. You go into chapters 2 and 3, that he is the one who is the faithful and true witness, that he is the one who will walk with us in white you read about how he is the righteous one of course chapter 19 is all about him coming and being revealed to the entire world as he says here in verse 7 every eye will see him you get to chapters 22 he is the alpha and omega it is about the revelation of jesus now obviously because it's speaking about how it happens, it does have some, some of those clues of what's going to be taking place, but the focus is Jesus. The other thing we see here that I find interesting about this is that the, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. So this revelation of Jesus is here seen as a gift from the father to his son and as I was pondering on that my mind ran to Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about the humility of Christ that though Jesus didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped because he was but he humbled himself he took on the form of a servant. He came obedient unto death, even death of the cross. And then what does it say? For this reason also, God highly exalted him. And gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that God has given this revelation of his Son, that Jesus will come and rule and reign to his Son as his gift. We, we saw in Hebrews how even now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting... For his enemies to be made his footstools. That's what revelation is all about. The other thing that we see here in verse 1 is that the revelation of Jesus is not just about Jesus being the object, but he's the source. So Jesus is the one who is bringing these words. And there's actually kind of a unique chain of custody here. It says, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. So one of the things that you see in the book of Revelation are there are moments when Jesus himself is speaking directly to John. So, for instance, here in, um, here in chapter 1... Uh, verse 11, write in a book what you see and send it to these seven churches. It's Jesus speaking. You, you get to chapters 2 and 3, these literal letters to these seven churches. It's Jesus speaking. You get to chapter 22. I come quickly. I, Jesus, have testified to you these things. But in other parts, it's not Jesus, but it's an angel who is communicating the message to, to John. Another thing about this revelation is that it is the unveiling and it has this idea of being an open book for all to see and to know. And you go, well, what's so unique about that? Well, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Daniel because you've got to understand Daniel to understand the book of Revelation. But when you get to the end of Daniel, this is what the angel told Daniel. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. But the idea was is you're to keep this under wraps. This is not going to be fully understood until the end of time. Yet you get to the book of Revelation to the end of the book and it says, do not seal the words of the prophecy of the book. Why? For the time is now. The time is near. This is the moment. And so the book of Revelation, because you think about how historically from the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, we are now living in the last days. We are living in those days that he had talked to Daniel about. So the book is open for us to understand so what we need to do is to understand that this book is for us it really ties into what i often talk about is our christian worldview that this world is not our home we always are to live in light of the fact that jesus is coming we have a home that is there we're just pilgrims here wandering through there's a, I think, a key word which is really kind of easy to, to blow by here in, in verse one. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must, must soon take place. They must take place. Well, why does something must happen? well the whole idea here is god is in control god is in charge no matter what's happening on the world scene today you know whether it's uh what's happening with russia what's happening with china what's happening with our stock market what's happening in washington what's happening with whatever they're shooting down out of the sky right uh god is in control And his whole point here is I'm going to tell you what must happen. Well, why must it happen? Well, the reason it must happen is that God has told us way back starting in Daniel of how this thing's going to play out. And so it's right on schedule, it's right on course, and so this is the things that must soon take place. Why must they? Because God said this is the way it's going to happen. And so I understand it. You've actually got to go back to the the book of Daniel. So I want you to turn back there with me. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 is when God begins to lay out what's going to happen in the course of human history. Now, if you're not familiar with this, Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, had taken the Jews into captivity... Uh, actually, did it three times. The first time in 605 B.C., that's when Daniel was taken. Daniel is uh, a young man at this time. He's there in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It really bothered him. So in the morning, he gathered all of his wise men together, said, I need you to give me the interpretation of this dream. But so that I know that what you're speaking is truth, you need to tell me what the dream is. And of course, at that point, they go, what? Right, nobody can do that. And Nebuchadnezzar said, no, 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 no. If you're really tied into higher powers, you'll know what the dream is. So unless you could tell me what the dream is, you're all gonna die. And they couldn't, of course. And so he puts out the word to have them all killed. When they came to Daniel, Daniel said, wait a minute, let me go pray God gave him the dream. So it goes before Nebuchadnezzar and he lays out the dream and then the interpretation. That's what we're reading. I put verse 29, but for the sake of time, I'm actually going to start with verse 31 just so we can uh, look at this. But you've got to understand, this is the foundation of how the future world is going to play out here from Daniel's time. You, O king... We're looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. You continue looking until a stone was cut out without hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that there was not a trace of them that was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain. The whole earth This was the dream Now we will tell its interpretation before the king Now if you ever stopped there And thought man Nebuchadnezzar had to be pretty impressed Right because that was the dream So I'm sure His ears perked up Verse 37, you, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, inasmuch as much as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all things in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron in as much as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron, and partly a pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left or another people, it will be Crush and put an end to all of these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold the great god has made known to the king what will take place in the future so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy now i wish we had a boatload of time to go over this trust me we will get back to it later in time but here's the idea here is the the statue Um, yeah my green light doesn't work so much on that one Uh, here's the statue the head of gold that's babylon Later on in Daniel, he's gonna tell us who the silver is. It's the Medo-Persian Empire. He's gonna later tell us who Greece or the brass is, that's Greece. Iron he never names, so but we know it to be Rome because they came in. We are someplace here because you think about how the Medo-Persians conquered conquered the Babylons and became the rulers of the world. Greece conquered the Medo-Persians, became the rulers of the world. Rome conquered Greece, became the Who conquered Rome? Not yet. (laughs) Well, see, the Roman Empire kind of imploded. They split up. They became two different ones, different places. But none of the conquerors ever became the world government like these four. And what we read is that there's ultimately going to be ten toes some of iron some of clay right this mixture we believe when you get to the book of revelation you start reading about the beast who had seven heads and ten horns the ten horns references these ten kingdoms this next world government that has in some a lot of times people call like a revived roman empire but out of which the beast is going to come but then there's going to be a stone that stone not made with hands right and it's going to destroy not just the 10 toes but the entire world system of government the way there's ever known and his kingdom is going to be forever that is christ's kingdom fact later in Daniel chapter 7 talking about this stone he now kind of runs back into that and this is what he says I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man oh by the way how did Jesus like to refer to himself son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So you go back to Revelation, I show you the things which must, Why? Because he's already told us what's going to happen. The must soon take place. And this is all about that stone who is Jesus, who is the rock, who is going to come. I would remind you that when Jesus in Matthew 24 picked up these same things about what are the signs of your coming, took this same idea of the things that must take place. So he's talking to him. He said, you'll be hearing about wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for those things must take place. God is in control. Can I remind you no matter what's going on in your life and what the doctor just told you last week, or if you got something hovering over your house, they come and shoot down. God is in control. God is in control. These things must take place. That's what Jesus said. They must take place, but it's not the end yet. Oh, by the way, you keep reading in Matthew 24, which he's talking about this end time stuff, and guess where he goes? He goes back to Daniel. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. See, these things must take place because God's told them are going to happen. This abomination and desolation, we believe, happens at the halfway mark of the tribulation. He talked about in the book of Revelation and was was in history shown to us by uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. It's going to happen. And so the book of Revelation is God's in essence, final disclosure about how this is all going to take place. That Jesus comes and rules and reigns. This this rock not cut with hands is going to destroy all the kingdoms of the world forever. And his kingdom is going to be established. That's why these things must take place. Jesus is going to rule and reign. And so the book of Revelation, in a sense, is taking all the... Prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled and is bringing it all together in the capstone of revealing Jesus as He comes to rule and to reign and to establish His kingdom and to keep all of the promises that He has made about how all this is going to happen. Let me finish up with this the revelation of Jesus is, is both soon and near. So he says there in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Now that word soon obviously has the idea that they're going to take place shortly, right? Just like the book of, of Daniel says, these things are in the future. Seal them up until the time of the end. Even in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 24, Jesus says that that these things are what are going to take place down the line. You get to the book of Revelation, and it says soon. Right? You get to chapter 22. I am coming quickly. Right? These things, in verse 3, he uses the word, the time is near. Now, sometimes people uh want to push back on that because the word that he uses here must take place shortly or soon can't have the idea that they're sudden and and that the soonness is that they will happen in quick succession so once this begins it's going to happen quickly when that's true it's just simply seven years now jesus even uses the picture of a of a woman in childbirth and uh And by the way, don't ever explain this to a woman in childbirth because you might end up missing some teeth. That this happens quickly, but the idea is, is that in relation to a nine months gestation and the whole life of the child, it is a very small portion but for any woman who's gone through that you know that as the contractions start uh, they get more severe and they get closer together the closer you get and so there is this idea of picking up speed and it's going to happen quickly and that that is a part of it but truly, you can't read the book of Revelation and read this without understanding that shortly also means soon. This is the heart of our two world view. Jesus can come back today. There's nothing delay. As I mentioned when we went through our what in the world is next, as best I understand, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, Matthew 24, that all the things that have to be in place that we see happening during the world events. You know, when I you know, 20 years ago when I was a teenager <clears throat> and I studied the book of Revelation, I kind of wondered about some of those things. But today, you, you know, how, how one person can, can control what, who buys, who sells. This idea that everyone will have to receive the mark of the beast or they will be hunted down, right? Today we understand that not only is it an idea, but we understand how it can be done. The stage is set. It is soon. It is without delay. And then that's why he comes back to verse 13. Blesses he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, which is a great picture there because he's sending this to seven churches. How many copies of this do you think John wrote? One. So it would have been brought to the church there at Ephesus, probably the first one, because it was a seaport. And so they would, one, would have read it, the rest would have listened to it, and then it would have been passed on to the church at Smyrna, and, and on and on and on. Blessed is the one who reads, those who hear and heed. For the time is near, the time is close at hand. finish with this there's a there's a lot going on in our world today have have you (laughs) I don't I don't I just don't have time to pay a lot of attention I'm not on a lot of social media but this this has been intriguing to me when I even woke up this morning and, and just got on Twitter for a bit and there's so much being made of these UFOs right And I couldn't help but think, you know, one of my dad's working thoughts, I wouldn't even say a theory, but he was off because he preached on prophecy all the time. And one of the questions was, well, how are they going to explain all the Christians being gone? He often said, UFOs, right? We've had lots of movies talking about this invasion. I'm thinking, this is really interesting, man. It's just there, right? And I was thinking about a book I, wrote, I read 20-some-odd years ago, I think 15, 20 years ago, uh, written by a medical doctor, way smarter than me. He was a researcher, so a mathematician. And, uh, but his, his, his book is entitled, Hurdling Towards Oblivion. And his whole point was is that with the expanding growth of technology, the expanding risk uh, that it... It just will be so much easier for one bad character with what we have to be able to destroy the world. And and you look at what's going on, and then I was thinking about... uh, Genesis, You know, when God destroyed the world the last time, right? What what was his point? Well, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I just kind of go, man, time's short. I don't, I don't know when Jesus will come back. I don't know when all of these things... <laughs> I just know that as I read Revelation, and I read Daniel, and I read Matthew 24, I think as believers, you and I may be privileged to be that last generation prior to his return and these events coming. But that also puts great responsibility for us, right? To live on mission, to share the good news of the gospel. to to be salt to be light to share the testimony and if you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online and you've not come to put your faith in jesus you know you you can wait it out if you want but man what a scary thought today is the day of salvation today is the day to put your faith in jesus the time is short these things are are near it's all about jesus The first time he came, he came as the Savior. The gentle babe in Bethlehem. The next time he comes, King of kings and Lord of lords. Justice, judgment. Uh, Put your faith in him.